We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. The third and final part of Kane, and in my opinion, the best part and masterpiece of this whole collection. I've been keeping my lips shut on this the whole time to share this one with you finally. Cabness from Kane by Gene Toomer. I'm so sad. Yes, agree. Absolutely amazing story. Love it. So excited to get into it. Heartbreaking that we're done. It is, this is why I don't like finishing TV shows. I, I don't like finishing books. The journey is coming to an end, but the discussion begins. <laughs> the circle is complete, as you probably noticed going through this as he dedicates it to his buddy Waldo Frank. And what does that mean? Right, because we talked about how the poems started at Reapers and ended at an old Reaper almost coming full circle. Well, we started the stories in Georgia in the south, came up north, and now we find in the final story we have a northerner coming back south to Georgia, almost starting where we began Ooh. completing the circle as well. What does that mean? Oh, I don't know. You got to zoom in. Uh, I just got goosebumps, man. It, it, it's it's perfect, right? It's perfect the way he's able to do that, right? It just, it's... It, it really is. And I had to look it up. So we kept talking about how this is a play adapted to a short story. What does that mean? That means he literally wrote it as a play, adjusted some things to be a short story, but we still have the dialogue tags. We still have like kind of screen direction, mostly dialogue driven experience, but you can see it was adapted a little bit. But it works. It's it's. I'm not even a huge play reader, and this is just a masterpiece. I don't even know if I've read a play legitimately since high school when you had forced to read out of those books that they gave you in ninth grade book, tenth grade lit book. This just feels so natural, and it just another credit to Tumor being a, a literary giant. And this story is this his magnum opus? Is is this it? I feel like it, it's a contender. All right, well, let's start out. So we start out with Ralph Kapnis, a, a northerner down south who is working in education as a teacher. He is sitting there trying to read, not doing the best job of it, uh, by <laughs> by lamplight. And remember how I, I told you a couple of, of talks ago about how the usage of who has access to electricity. Here we are in the rural south, probably a little bit poor with the wood boards having rats in them <laughs> and the walls creaking and, and becoming poets and singing in the night, we start to to come back on the socioeconomic scale, right? I think we've all been there in that where you're trying to get comfortable, you're trying to do something you enjoy, and just all the outside influences. And I think that this is a perfect example of how the outside world will just come at you from every direction to steal your joy. And poor Mr. Cabness has, has had that stolen from him. <laughs> Well, he comes from a family of orators, yet he can't read, right? The fact that he, well, I don't mean can't read. I just mean he's, he can't focus at this point in time. What does that mean? Why would he have this mental problem 
with the chicken screaming and, you know, these, these talks about being God fearing, but not believing in God himself. Right. Especially after you go through all this arc of this conversion from African religion to Christianity. And now we're, now we're questioning it, right? We, we've, we've entered into, I don't want to say the final form, but if, if you're trying to make a circle here, you're into the final circle of just, I am now willing to accept and question for myself as opposed to just believe what others put on me. And that's not saying that, that you have to, but I'm just saying that, that that's where I think Kavnis is, is, is he's trying to understand who is he? I think Mr. Kavnis is an intellectual, right? And he's an intellectual norther coming into a place that is foreign to him, and he's struggling to rationalize all of it. And if we look back throughout all of the book with all of the poetry, poetry as I've learned and I, I in my experience and, and how I feel, poetry is less intellectual in some regards and more emotional. You are supposed to feel that. It's supposed to evoke emotion in you. And not to say that there is an intellect and you can't use those things, but I think Cadmus is the embodiment of that throughout all of the poetry in all of Cain. Okay. Okay. Because he is a man that feels, right? The way that he attacks the chicken and, and lashes out. All right, so next we meet uh, Fred Halsey, who is, again, from European descent. He he has what appears to be some African lineage in his background by, by some of the descriptions. You know, and in general, we, we don't really have a lot of white people in this story specifically. In Cain as a whole, there's a few. But for the most part, they're kind of in the background. It's kind of like that Zora Neale Hurston writing where you see the, the oppression, the effects of white powers put upon people, but you don't see them directly. And throughout this whole story, I mean, you have the guy that comes in for fixing his gun, but for the most part, who I think was white, but for the most part, you don't have too much representation, but instead you see, you see perhaps the person of color experience, right? Their joy, their happiness, and how that might be changed by the fact that they can't go out at night or feel safe going in certain places. I love that you brought that up because I thought with the the, the gunsmith that this felt like almost a jab at the carpetbaggers because what is this story about, like you said, it's the northerner coming down into the south mm. and trying to fix things. And so who is the one white guy in the story, I mean, that we kind of definitively know, is the guy coming down from the north and trying to fix fix things and that's such a stab and i love how subtle it is put in there because i think that it it has more meaning than we we think because of how these stories are supposed to encapsulate black culture and that there there's not supposed to be this fix it mentality there's nothing to fix it's just another addition to american identity american culture i love that that's an interesting idea you also have representation of how white people have the, they talk about the Mammy Lemke, right? And you had the Sam Raymond who was, was hung and you had the baby. Um, we'll go into too much detail there because it broke my heart and it's super graphic. <laughs> but, uh, you cry, I, you cried. I, I, I laugh because it's not because it's funny, but because it's just ridiculous how, I mean, I mean heartbreaking it is. Yeah. Well, pause for a moment. This, while this is fiction, Right. And I don't know if Toomer based this on something. He, he very well might have based this on an actual event. But 100% you and I who love history, these are real events. These are things that have happened. 
And it doesn't make it any easier to read about when one, you read about it in these history books, you just, you hear about it and it's horrific. But when you read about it in fiction and you see the characters, well, now, now they're afraid, right? They're afraid to go out. And it's at this point, the, the rock comes through with that paper that says that he needs to go back home. And you start to get this, this, like the base layer of that Maslow's hierarchy, I think is what, what physical comfort or physical safety, something like that. Now that's ripped away, right? How, how are you going to achieve happiness? How are you going to achieve love when you don't even have the base layer of security when you got, well, at the time you thought it was white people coming in and then threatening them, but you hear the stories about the hangings and the murders. That's terrifying to see how it impacts the people. And then to, on top of all of that, we really have this background noise. Eh, see what I did there? As in the church, there's always this singing going on, and there's this spiritual element. Throughout the entire story, there's this spiritual element. But now we have like a literal oppression onto them of this singing. What do you think that means? It gave me a feeling also of the, remember Young Goodman Brown, where there's like, oh, we're good going church people. But then you find out that they might be doing some really evil, nasty stuff behind the scenes. This is where we we're talking about the evil, nasty stuff and see it. But they're in church. They're singing, pretending like they're good people of the Lord when they might be doing these really evil things behind the scenes. It gave me that sense of 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 black and white, right? Like people are gray. There are good intentioned people that are doing bad, really bad things at times. People are complex, that's for sure. <laughs> well, the, and the church is even described as whitewashed, right? And Toomer had that discussion mm -hmm. about how the, the religion of, of Christianity was pushed upon the slaves and kind of forced to be the belief that they're waiting and their suffering is justified by a savior, right? And then the characters keep talking about how they're waiting for that black redeemer to come to, to validate their suffering. Which never happens. Does it? I don't know. That ending. We got to talk about that ending and what that <laughs> means. Uh, okay, let's 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 talk about uh, kind of let's walk through this, right? Because you have we've been blowing through this, but Hanby, right, comes in and he is the uh, director, principal. He he's the president president of the school, and and he is. If we look at how you almost had different performance levels of how do we people of color interact with the white community because we already know it's dangerous just to be about around them. Right. Hanby is the type of person who comes in flaunting his power, but he's the puppet. He will do what to me, he will do whatever it takes from an accommodization standpoint to gain and keep power provided to him by the ruling class. So this is like the poem, We Wear the Mask by Dunbar, right? He's a sheep in wool's clothing to appease that white gaze. <laughs> well, and then you already brought it up, but so is Halsey, right? Because remember when the, your view, in your view, the carpetbagger, which, which I think is rather interesting, comes in, how much do I owe you? Oh, no, no, no. We won't take your money here, right? Halsey is going to accommodate whatever he needs because in traditionally, when, when they were slaves, they, they didn't get paid. They had to exchange work and hours for comforts. And even like the the gun owner is just like, okay, well, come into my shop. We'll, we'll do a trade or something like that. Like he is also willing to accommodate. Now, Hans, okay, so that's, that's two of the characters, right? Lewis was someone who, when all this was going down, what does he do? <sighs> 
Lewis, Lewis, Lewis. I I think Lewis is caught between savior and scapegoat. <laughs> right? Where he he he's in the middle. In the middle? Like, well, I, I viewed him as someone that was trying to flee conflict. Like he wasn't trying to improve the relations. He was trying to run away from it. Which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but that that is what he's trying to do. Right. Like, like in terms of the grand power of how much change can I really make? He's not the person that was willing to stick around and fight for it. And I think that's why, to me, the, I think these two extremes, you have Cabinus in the middle, who is like, do I really belong mm. here? Is is oh, my Cabinus place. OK, well, well, to me, because because Cabinus was from up north. Right. And he comes down south. He sees more violence. He sees more aggression. And, you know, even Lewis told him he's like, oh, white people down here, they're more they're more straightforward. They're not going to just throw a rock through your window. Oh, no, no. They're going to do things much worse. Right. So, so <laughs> but that's better in his eyes, I guess. <laughs> so, so Cabinus is wondering where does he fit into this picture and does he even belong here? So, would you rather have the knife in the front or the knife in the back? And Cabinus is confused on how these people are treating him and why. Yeah. My, mind you that Halsey's father is locked up in the basement and can't see. Right. So, he's almost like the person that, is is he's he's dependent upon others to to continue life and if you remember at the end you have cabinets that asks him do you think you're still in slavery do you think this is where tumor is trying to give the people of the story kind of their racial identity as things are moving forward in time to let go of the past that that they have to change their their state of mind in order to change their state of being it could be you know, because at the end here, after they fix the gun, is when they go to that party, and that's where they have the John the Baptist talk, right? Who, you know, depending on how far down the rabbit hole you want to go on the interpretation game, right? You you can go all the way down and say, oh, well, John John the Baptist was someone who was a, he was a prophet of God in the Bible, and he was a person who warned about um, Revelation, basically the final judgment, Right. And so much of this book has pushed towards that final judgment of, of will we be redeemed? What will save us? And how do our actions matter leading towards that moment? And the old man in the basement is locked away, not looking at the, he's almost like blind to the sins of the past and survival, while Cabinus is the one who has the ability to take action. And that's where he's wondering, what is the right action? Should he be like a person like Lewis that runs away? Should he be a person that accommodates like Hanby or Halsey even? Or is he someone that might try to stick around and make a difference? It's kind of how uh, I might, might I might have taken and his character at least. You never get resolution to this. You don't know which one he really picks. And that's just heartbreaking. And I think that is exactly what happened in real life for a lot of young people in the South in this time period of, do I run away and go to the North, go to Chicago, go to DC? Do I stay here and suffer and try to make it better? Uh, do I placate? Uh, how are we going to evolve and change? And I think that that was a decision that uh, a lot of people made. I think a lot of people had that decision made for them. And I think a lot of people didn't make any decision at all and just kind of slumbered in the existence, just kind of, you know, lumbered along. I almost think that if Albert Camus was analyzing the story, he would say that those are the people that are taking the philosophical end 
of life where instead of making their own decision, they're accepting what other people tell them it is. Whether that be for good, for savior, or, you know, like what Cabinus is doing is struggling, which is should he make up a different mind perhaps? And, and you're absolutely right. That ending with the light coming down and him leaving, it's like, wait, is, is this redemption? Is, <laughs> are we turning things around or, or, or is this the end and nothing's going to change? It's, it's a brilliant ending because it leaves it open to discussion because then the question is, you know, in the end here, they talk about dead, 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 dead. The word dead comes up several times when Cabinus is yelling at the old man kind of like the end of uh, Dubliners even. And and again, they keep talking about sin, right? Which the definition of sin is a biblical term. So if you do not accept the Bible and you don't accept that, that, that word is meaningless. Good and evil is typically a religious concept, if you will. So to take that and say, well, now how do we talk about what, what racism means and what does mistreatment mean of people and what do we owe others? It becomes a very complex puzzle to discuss. I also love that the story is open interpretation because you get to look at it how you would. And I think that that is very unique. I also think that that's very powerful because it will say more about you as a person than about these characters. And that's going to change whether you're reading it, uh, you know, as a young person, a middle-aged person, an old person, a northerner, a southerner, uh, you know, person of color, uh, a historian, not a historian. What do you know? What is your personal family dynamics? A lot of that, your, your religious views, your political views, all of that's going to come into play of how you think this story is going to be interpreted at the end and what is the most important meaning for Cadmus and what decisions should he make will be very telling for yourself. And I, I love that Toomer gave us that gift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me bring up one final quote here, just because I thought this was probably one of the more powerful quotes to me. To have gone through this journey, when, when you look at the arcs, oops, of Cain as a whole, you, you have these discussions that we've been talking about, about what does Christianity mean when it's being introduced uh, to the African religion? What, what does it mean to spread the truth when you truly do believe in Jesus and you're like, okay, this is definitely the truth. I have to spread it. What does that mean when you're, when you're, when you're overlaying that over people that have never had that before, I guess is one way to put it. But we, we have a really hot line here. It says, as they kneel there, heavy-eyed and dusky, and throwing grotesque moving shadows on the wall, they were two princesses in Africa, going through the early morning ablutions of their pagan prayers. And this is right when they're in the dark cellar with the amoeba-like shadow, so it's almost like this hypnotic, impressionistic scene. And to, to have taken this journey and then to almost, you know, like we talk about Cain being a circle— to bring that back to uh, we wear the mask like you just brought up of how much of the Christianity was performance while still believing in even kind of like the African roots behind the scenes. Well, I think that bringing up the roots of where does all this come from is super important because as we know over time, as we've seen the evolution of the whole story, you've seen the evolution of the people of the South. Their religion has been changed new religions forced upon them, their cultural identity, their names were changed, they were chained and then set free and given no support and then almost insulted by saying, well, you can't do it for yourself, we'll come down from the north and do it for you. I think it's, it, it's, it, they're all caught in between 
the past, the present, and the future of who are they going to be and how are they going to be incorporated? Yeah. I think there, to me, I think there's a lot to be said here about about expression. When they're at this party, how does it end? It ends in this very sexual awakening. This whole book has been about, you know, when you look at the beginning of Carintha, who didn't know anything and had it pushed upon her at an age too young, to women that were silenced, to women that didn't know anything. And then you start to see women have desires and you start to see the women acting upon those desires. And here you have the ultimate expression of sexuality, which is being intimate with someone. Of course, this is premarital from a Christian standpoint is a problem, but is it from, from their perspective? If they haven't really embraced that Christianity, is that technically a problem for them? And that's why you start to have these discussions of with the old man about dead and sin. And are we going to pay for these or are we seeking our own redemption and our own version of expression in life now because this is what we believe? And, and it's, it's very complex. I, I get it, and I probably didn't express that perfectly. But to me, part of the Cain experience is he's be, better able to put into words how to make me feel something without saying exactly how I should feel. And, and that's the real power of Cain. Mm, feelings. I'm so glad that we read this, and I'm glad that we read it in parts. I'm glad that we broke it up this way because it allowed it me to digest those feelings and come to terms with them because feelings are hard. And I, I think racing through like this something you don't get to uh, understand what your own personalness of it and your own perspective. And I think that chunking this has been a benefit. And I love that we've come first, full circle now, as sad as I am. Uh, if we were still giving rankings, eleven out of ten. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with eleven and a half out of ten, just to one up you. Uh, but but we're not ending here. Let's let's take a step back, and let's have a discussion with our friend Jack about this this cycle as a whole, this novel as a whole, and maybe talk about how do these paces interact more even than we have so far. So while this was our Capnus talk, this isn't our final part in the playlist. We are going to have a live discussion of this, the Kane, the novel as a whole. We look forward to talking to you guys there. Hope you guys share some of your feedback in that discussion and appreciate you guys spending time with us so far. My name is Benuna. Peace. Peace.